I was 19 years old when a friend told me I should volunteer at Youth for Christ as a big sister. Eight years later, I was still volunteering with them when one of the staff said to me I should come work at YFC in their drop-in as a full-time missionary. The prospect of raising my own salary was not appealing, and I initially was not sold on the idea. But I needed to take it seriously because I respected the person who was asking me. I first talked it over with David, and he thought it was a good fit. But then we also took it to our Bible study group. They, too, took it seriously, the question I posed to them. But they were also quick to be affirming in me taking on this new role. We discerned together that this was a good path for me to go on, and so I said yes. Discerning God's will is complicated, especially when only thinking about it on your own. It needs to be done in community, with others, with other believers. This helps bring clarity. It brings it into focus. We need focus when thinking through decisions. The focus or the lens by which we need to view our decisions in our daily life and in the bigger milestones of our life in our events is through the cross of Christ. One of the things that the cross brings into focus, according to Mary Hinkle Shore, is that the mind of Christ is imagination in action. More on this later. We have the mind of Christ are the last words in our scripture reading this morning. Paul says that wisdom from the spirit is not wisdom of the culture they are in, rather a wisdom that comes to those who are in Christ, for those who love God. God's spirit to in us to discern what is right and which way to go. Those that are in Christ have the mind of Christ. Let's look briefly at this passage. For Paul, who writes this letter to the Corinthians, he is adamant that mature wisdom comes only from Christ crucified. The gospel does not fit with the wisdom of philosophy, which is sought by the Greeks. Paul does not engage with the rhetoric the Corinthians wanted or expected. He is talking about a wisdom that comes not from his own abilities, but by what has been given to him, to us. It's a wisdom that comes to those who believe the mystery of what Jesus did on the cross. What does the cross signify to you? That wisdom, the wisdom that Paul talks about, he contrasts with the wisdom of the age they are in, in verse 6. Here he distinguishes between those who are in Christ and those who are not. The age he refers to, is the way of referencing the values and worldview not shaped by Christ. The Corinthians are using human or unspiritual categories to understand and assess spiritual realities. But of course, that is doomed to fail. The wisdom Paul talks about, he says, is for our glory in verse 7. Not God's glory, but ours. It is comprehensive to all believers, 
not just an elite group who believe they have the only true understanding of Christ. The glory God gives is for all who believe. Paul then quotes a passage in verse 9 that most closely resembles something from Isaiah 64. In it, he is stating that hope is for all who love God. It's not a special knowledge, but simply loving God, expressed in appropriate behavior, things like the fruit of the Spirit or 1 Corinthians 13, that gives us hope in the age to come, life with Christ now and when we leave this world. In this next section of scripture, Paul emphasizes the Spirit, capital S. The Holy Spirit of God comes up six times in these very few verses. The things of God have been revealed to us, not to the learned philosophers, but to the humble Christians who God has revealed his truth to. Not out of our special knowledge or learning, but given to us by God's Spirit. The Spirit knows the depths of God, the deep things of God. The Spirit searches all things, is probing all things. The Spirit knows these deep things, and there is nothing beyond the Holy Spirit since they are one with God. And so it brings assurance that we have real knowledge. And although this certainty is one of faith, it does not make it less certain. The final line in this text is, but we have the mind of Christ. What a powerful statement. What does that mean to you, to have the mind of Christ? It could lead to some maybe feeling a bit elitist, like we are on the inside of something secret and it's only for some who have spiritual insight and knowledge. It has been used that way over the history of the church and of course in our world today. Some make claim to a special knowledge due to education or revelation or a unique encounter with God or those who claim a higher ethical standard gives them more spiritual authority. But of course, this is not what Paul is calling us to. The best commentary on the mind of Christ is the hymn quoted in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. Let's read these together. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. These verses again bring it all back to Paul's whole argument. Everything is about the cross. In last week's sermon, Cam Preeb talked about the cross, what the cross signified to those at the time of Jesus. It was a painful and humiliating 
death. Humility is the overriding theme aligned with the mind of Christ. Recognizing that the wisdom of God is expressed in the crucifixion of Jesus negates any temptation to boast in oneself and the knowledge that I may have acquired. The other overriding theme of the cross is love. Mary Hinkle Shore writes these words, the actions of those with the mind of Christ will be characterized by self-giving love. To have the mind of Christ is to be able to imagine the new creation and participate in it before it has come into focus for others. And as God's spirit calls and equips the church for that imagining and participating, the new creation actually comes into focus for the world. I love this idea of imagination. Imagining what could be can help bring good and new things to fruition. When working at YFC, a coworker and I imagined together what could a ministry to teen moms look like. There were lots of obstacles and there were of course lots more ideas than we had, were able to make happen. But some things did happen to the glory of God. What are you or what are we needing to be imaginative about? What are the issues that you feel are unwinnable, that come across as black and white to some, but gray to others? You probably have some things in mind. God's mind in us, helping us, guiding us into using his imagination to new ways of understanding, together with humility. That's the church. It's how Anabaptists have discerned things for years. We believe in community discernment, listening to all people, all ages, as we work things out as we decide paths forward in this place. That we have the mind of Christ does not mean every Christian can understand all of Christ's thoughts, but that the indwelling spirit reveals Christ to us. The spiritual person does not see things from the viewpoint of the world, but from the viewpoint of Christ. N.T. Wright says, that the command in Philippians 2, verse 5, to have the mind of Christ, is to think within the Christologically transformed creation, the world over which the crucified Jesus already reigns as Lord. That is, God has already won. Jesus is Lord over all the earth. Paul is trying to teach his hearers the difficult art of this new age mental transformation of the renewed mind. He is teaching his hearers to do Christian theology as a shared task through scripture, prayer, growing immaturity of thinking. How can we possibly be united 
be of one mind. There is so much divisiveness within and between churches. It's only though through having the mind of Christ, humility, self-giving love. This then needs to be worked out, of course, in thousands of different ways, in different situations, for which Paul does not give us precise instructions. Wright says, if you want to generate and sustain unity and holiness in the church, the best way of doing it is to be soaked in the mind of the Messiah. He says of Paul that he is teaching his hearers to think as kingdom of God people. That is, a people who live within the scriptural and prayerful world in which there is one God to whom all things belong. Psalm 24 says it beautifully. The earth and all that's upon it belong to the eternal. The world is his with every living creature on it. With seas as foundations and rivers as boundaries, he shaped the continents, fashioned the earth. Who can possibly ascend the mountain of the eternal? Who can stand before him in sacred spaces? Only those whose hands have been washed and hearts made pure, men and women who are not given to lies or deception, the eternal will stand close to them with blessing and mercy at hand, and the God who redeems will right what has been wrong. These are the people who chase after him. Like Jacob, they look for the face of God. How do we immerse ourselves in the mind of Christ? Worship of God brings us into kingdom thinking, the reminding each week that we need to look up for our validation, our identity, to reset ourselves, not to look horizontally to the world, the media that surrounds us all day. And we need to take Sabbath rest, rest in God, Marva J. Dawn wrote a wonderful book called Joy in Divine Wisdom. She says we rely so much on our own intelligence, our own purposefulness, to find our way in the world that perhaps we're not open to the mysterious workings of grace. Perhaps we miss God's direct leadings, God's own gifts of insights, God's prophetic words to us, because we are not ready to receive them. We need to create habits that prepare us to receive grace. We need a scriptural foundation. By what word or words is your life formed? I was quite young when I first read the verses from 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-control. I'd cut them out from our church's bulletin one Sunday. It was in color and had a pretty border all around it. It spoke to me as soon as I read it. I kept it on my dresser and looked at it often. There were lots of reasons why I chose it and kept it close to me. A few were that I was a very timid child and I had issues with anger. These words 
encouraged me, challenged me to be the person God called me to be? What are the words that encourage you, challenge you to be who God has called you to be? Just because we claim to be followers of Christ does not mean that we are yet mature in our way of thinking about spiritual matters, that we have divine wisdom. It is only as we become attuned to the Spirit of God and engage with the scriptures as illuminated through the Spirit of God within us that we can discern what is from God and not merely our own human understanding. Dawn says that our language is very much informed by media, movies, TV, quick abbreviations in our text messages. What we fail, may fail to realize is that our language in turn forms who we are, how we relate, what we choose, and why we act as we do. Some children are formed by the distorted language of abuse in its many forms. Adults, too, continue to be formed by various languages of hate, consumerism, and injustice. But this gift of scripture that God gave us charts a different path than the culture we find ourselves in. In scripture, we are called to be loving, generous, merciful, compassionate, in other words, to be like Christ, our primary word. Of course, there are those who don't see scripture that way. They may think Christianity is about hate, exclusion, elitism. We are in, you are out, based on the behavior of those we see in the news or on our social media sites. And of course, based on the horrible history of residential schools. These are all real examples of terrible behavior by those who say they follow Christ. If we look at Jesus, though, we see a man who took on suffering onto himself rather than inflict it on others. We see a person who sought to heal, to comfort, to feed rather than hurt. We see a God who is willing to go to the uttermost lengths to bring us to him, to reconcile us to him, to die so that we may live. Jesus calls us to his way of life, to pick up our cross and follow him. I was in Berlin in 1987, a couple of years before the wall came down. At the museum beside Checkpoint Charlie, which is the border crossing between East and West Berlin, I bought a postcard that read, let the Christians of the world agree that we will not kill each other. The world would be a much better place if all who claim to follow Jesus actually listened to life in his words about caring for the needy about being peacemakers wherever we go, loving God with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength, and thereby loving our neighbor as ourselves. There is nothing easy about this, 
And yet there is nothing as simple by the power of Christ working in each of us. What does the cross of Christ signify for you? What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? And by what words is your life formed? May we be encouraged to discern what is right through the immersion of God's word in community, Christ working, working in us with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Fort Gary MB Church. We hope that what you heard challenged you to think in new ways about Jesus Christ and the life that we are called to through his death and resurrection. If you have any questions about who we are as a church, our mission, or have any other questions in general, please do not hesitate to contact our office email at info at fgmb.ca. Be blessed.